0: Welcome to Retro Game Audio. My name is Patrick. And I'm Steve. And uh, for today's episode, we'd like to provide an overview of NES audio. We've already taken an up-close look at a couple soundtracks, but we thought it would be a good idea to take a step back and basically detail what the NES is capable of.
1: That's right. Our goal for this episode is to give the listener a more detailed understanding of its five sound channels, the sounds they make, the parameters that limit them, and also some of the tricks used to get more out of them. Yep. Uh,
0: there may be a few more modern, advanced tricks we're going to save for a future episode, uh, but you know we're going to give a pretty thorough uh, breakdown nonetheless.
1: By the time we're done with this, we should know how every one of the sounds works and have a good foundation on how NES audio is made.
0: Yes. And uh, a while back uh, on my old like defunct YouTube channel, uh, I made some YouTube videos uh, that are very similar to this episode. In fact, I, I mean, I kind of just like stole some stuff out of those videos. So uh, if you've seen those before, um, you know, this it might, the content of this episode might be familiar, but there is uh, new stuff in this episode as well. So
1: one of the, I think it's kind of funny because when I was doing my blog, one of the major things that I actually had looked at was your actual videos from, oh. <laughs> from back in the day. Oh, cool. I actually posted them there. So uh, it's kind of cool to be here and, you know, talking about it with you in person, you know, after like reading and looking at all your information, you know, I guess, what, six years ago at this point?
0: Right, right. Oh, yeah. that's crazy.
2: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah.
0: Cool. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll uh, get started. So the NES has five channels of sound and the first two sound channels are the pulse wave channels. Both of them are identical to each other, offering the same sounds and limitations. This is where you hear most melodies in Nintendo music.
1: These channels have three different sounding voices available, distinguished by their duty cycle, which is kind of basically their settings. So they can be set to three different, or four different settings. I'm sorry, 12.5%, 25%, 50%, and 75%. Here's an example of 12.5%. Here's an example of 25%. And
0: 50% now to uh, make sense of what those numbers mean just sort of uh, try to picture a waveform of a square wave in your head um, it has that like sort of blocky uh, s shape to it and uh, the 50% duty cycle is the square wave because uh, like both halves of that waveform if you like, break it down into a single segment are the same length like the on versus the off portion um you know it's on half the time off the other half of the time 50 uh, percent um so the other voices you could call rectangle waves or more accurately uh, pulse waves and uh like so like the 12.5 percent is uh in the on position for only 12.5 percent of that entire waveform's length uh, if that makes any sense um So uh, the reason we sort of like to make this distinction is because uh, these sound channels are commonly referred to as square wave channels, Um, but that's sort of like an oversimplification because you have three different sounding voices and only one of them is actually the 50% is, you know, only one of them is actually a square wave. And uh, as Steve mentioned before, the fourth one, uh, the fourth duty cycle, 75%, uh, we're just sort of ignoring that because it's the inverted waveform of the 25% duty cycle. It sounds uh, exactly the same. So in in musical terms, even though you have four options, there's only uh, three different sounding voices. And so to give a better context of what these voices sound like, we'll play a piece of well-known video game music that uses all three voices.
1: So that main melody you hear, right as it starts, uh, has both pulse wave channels using the 12.5% voice. Uh, then that brief sort of descending that like background figure is the square wave, and the B section uh, that the clip fades out on is at 75% voice for the duty cycle.
2: Yeah, uh,
0: but to give a better idea of the sort of parameters involved here, it's worth noting that the two channels don't have to be using the same voice at the same time, like in that Mega Man clip, and they can also be swapped out at any time. And by any time, I mean like literally any split second, uh, like any 60th of a second, which is the Nintendo's frame rate or hertz or whatever you want to call it, um, which is also the resolution at which mostly anything could be changed, pitch, volume, uh, etc.
1: Yeah, true. Um, this gives, I mean, and just because of that, uh, we have flexibility to sort of build an envelope where a note will attack with one duty cycle but sustain on another. Um, so here's an example from the Gremlins 2 soundtrack. <laughs> So each note in that pattern there started off with a square wave sound that only lasts about a 60th of a second, then switches over to 25% duty cycle for the rest of the note. Kind of gives it like a a pick or a plucking sound, uh, pizzicato kind of uh, style. So you get like the initial attack and then you get the sustain afterwards. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And like this is a bit of a tangent here, but um, I think like when you start getting into these kind of effects, this is what distinguishes chip music from other electronic music um you know because like if you have like an old analog synthesizer you'll have a square wave a rectangle wave sawtooth triangle like those are options those are sounds you can select um but if you imagine like you have a knob where you can select those different voices there's no way you could reliably like attack every note as you play have it like on one voice for a 60th of a second and then switch to another you know like every time you're playing a note that's just not physically possible um, so like even though old synthesizers have the same a lot of the same like waveforms that you encounter on these old video game consoles, you can really spot the difference. like if someone's making music on an old synthesizer or if you're listening to ChipTune music, uh, like the way you build the sounds uh, definitely makes them stand apart.
1: As kind of even further tangent, but not going too far away. Um, like we think about Famitracker tracker, and I bring it up all the time because uh, a lot of you guys out there use it, and I use it a lot too. Um, Family Tracker was kind of built to kind of create these particular kinds of sounds. Um, and again, it wasn't, you know, they didn't use Family Tracker when they built theirs. They used their own engines or they didn't even use their engine. Sometimes they just put it in language and programmed it and someone else kind of used this, the, you know, the sound drivers to make it work. Um, but a lot of the things that we can do, like being able to physically go in there, um go into the envelope and making it so that it plucks uh you know a square wave and then goes to a 12.5 percent pulse is simply because other people had created programs to do that so what we see kind of in our chip music instruments that kind of really make uh that plucking sound is something that they kind of discovered too based on actually how the nes is kind of built um which is kind of amazing so again like family tracker is something that's kind of built after what we've already heard you know and mm-hmm. at least that's my interpretation of it so we kind of try to recreate those sounds and that's a sound that's very unique to it so exactly um, like that's
0: mm-hmm. that sort of goes back to what i was saying about like the evolution of video game music or you know chip music and how it's distinguished from electronic music mm-hmm. like if you took like a midi file and uh, ran it through a vst where you map one voice to a square wave, another voice to a square wave, another one to a triangle, and, you know, like, you throw it up on YouTube, like, oh, here's my 8-bit cover or something. <laughs> not, not to be too critical. That's that's how a lot yeah. of people first experiment, you know. Yeah. Um, but you when you hear those, like, sort of 8-bit conversions,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's like, n- no, it doesn't really sound like it. Even though you're using the same waveforms, uh, the distinction d- d- is there, so anyways before we uh you know train wreck this episode and go too far off from our uh, examples we have queued up here uh I, I did have a few more examples of how the duty cycles can be switched uh, because again bearing in mind you're not limited to, to just attacking with one then sustaining on another uh, so here's an example from the alien 3 soundtrack where it switches between two different duty cycles roughly uh every 18 sixtieths of a second uh, on the sustaining note so it's a lot slower of a change Here's an, uh, an example of that voice, uh, by itself so you can hear it a bit better. And, you know, again, I think it's just an interesting effect that's fairly, uh, unique in sound, um, Because, you know, like, on an acoustic instrument, players don't typically have ways of abruptly changing the timbre of a voice on a sustaining note. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. No, it's interesting because, like, I play tuba, obviously. And that's something, you know, uh, when I was first making music with these sounds and kind of learning about it, that's always been appealing to me. Because you can change your instrument mid-instrument. Let's yeah. be like picking up a different instrument while I'm playing in the middle <laughs> right. of it. Like we do things like we can create vibrato, you know, little things like that. But I can't physically make the instrument in the middle of a note sound like a different instrument. Um, exactly. And that's something you can actually do with this FM even more so, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but in here, you, like just that, that example in particular has always stood out to me. It's like, man, I don't know who could do something like that with right. a real instrument. You know? Right, exactly. Um. So actually, oh, yeah. Didn't you say you had an example from Bad Dudes you wanted to share, too?
0: In this like, example here, you can hear what sounds like an arpeggio effect, but it's done entirely by rapidly swapping the duty cycles on two sustaining notes. Uh, let's give that a listen. So I find this example really interesting because it really sounds to me like there's different notes happening in there, like a fast arpeggio or like a, a trill of some kind. Uh, but there there actually isn't. If you take out the uh, duty cycle effect, the part just sounds like this. And uh, yeah, I guess that uh, more or less covers what I wanted to say about the uh, duty cycles.
1: Okay, so why don't we move on to volume a little bit. Sure. Um, a decent amount of NES audio parameters are limited by a 4 bit value. 4 bit. Not 8 bit. 4 bit. Bear in mind that when we talk about NES being 8 bit, that's a broader term that refers to the bit generation the console belongs to. Uh, when we, uh, we call it that because its uh, CPU processor is an 8 bit processor. That doesn't mean that the NES itself is 8 bit everything, yeah. as we'll see with the volume settings.
0: That's right. Like you only have 16 option options for volume. You know, that's a 4-bit value. There's 0, which is off or silent, and then there's 1 through 15 with 15 being the loudest. So, uh, I have an example here of like a slow fade out going through all of those volumes and it starts with a little click off in time, so it's like it's going to go through each setting uh, in time here. You know, maybe not the most necessary example, but um, the reason I want to play it is because, like, 15 volumes is actually a decent number uh, of volumes to work with. Like, in the loudest ones, it's actually hard to hear the difference between them as it's fading out. Um, But it's still good to uh, keep this in mind because there is a limiting factor with this sort of resolution. Like, if you have a note that starts off loud, like I just said, you have softer volumes you can go through. And especially if you you do a quick fade out, it's going to sound smooth to your ear. But like, if you're using softer voices, like you want to have like a a a softer part in your song and you want to fade out like a softer voice, you know, there's no in between the softest volumes. So like, it's going to be like very obvious changes between volumes three, two, and one. So like, you can't really do a smooth fade out.
1: I mean, you can can kind of
0: hide it in your song, like if there's other stuff going on at the same time, but.
1: No, it's, it's absolutely kind of a big pain point, even when I'm kind of trying to write stuff. Uh just in, in family tracker, like there, it sounds like obviously the highest setting is very loud, but if you're trying to get something to kind of fade out, um, you know, the, when something is on, when it has a one in, you know, as a volume or the volume setting one, as opposed to zero. Yeah. There's it, no fade out from that. There's no fade out. It, yeah. it Like literally once it hits zero, it just goes off. Yeah. and there's no reverb there's no other settings so a lot of people will use like different volume commands and Family tracker like the a the axx command yeah just kind of getting you know a little bit nuts and bolts here mm-hmm. you're not actually hearing any values in between there it just cycles through these 15 values yeah. so that's why it's kind of abrupt sometimes if you do it too fast um I just think it's interesting because I think that there's a misconception that there's more choices in between there, but there really is, as Patrick was just saying, very uh, the, the differences between 3, 2, and 1, and 0 are actually, you could actually hear them if you kind of yeah. put them together. Um, so, uh, you know, while if it fades out very quickly, you're not going to hear it, but if it, over time and slow, it definitely will start shelving at that kind of volume. Your ear will pick it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So... Um... You know, we're just talking about volume, so I guess it'd be a good time to bring up the uh, echo effect.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's another way of playing around with the pulse waves to sort of get more out of the sound channels, in spite of their otherwise very limited capabilities. We picked out four different ways it can be done.
0: Yeah, so uh, the first, I'm not really sure what to call. It's like a primitive but still effective echo effect that you can uh, easily find in some Konami soundtracks. Uh, Maybe we'll call it Konami Echo. Um, And what they do is they try and fill what would otherwise be empty spaces in the music with pulse waves that are at the softest volume they can be, volume one. So like you have a note that fades out, but instead of ever getting to zero, it remains on one for a while. Or in some cases, the voice will completely fade out to zero, but quickly return at volume one. And just it'll hang out there in between the main sort of part that's going on. Um, Here's an example you can hear a lot in this uh, track from Contra. So uh, this effect is used heavily throughout this track. It's particularly strong at that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun part, where the notes do fully fade out, um, but they return at volume one. So let's listen to that isolated and slowed down.
1: So yeah, I guess that's um, the uh, Konami echo. The second approach we picked out is the two-channel echo. This is a very straightforward approach where you can simply take a melody from one of the pulse wave channels, copy and paste it into the other pulse wave channel, but delay it slightly and reduce its volume. You now have the voice repeating itself, so it sounds kind of like a true echo. So it would kind of be like you have the one voice at a louder volume in one channel and kind of a softer volume in another, and you hear one and then a little bit delayed you hear the other.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, one of my favorite examples comes from the Ducktales soundtrack, uh, the African Minds oh, uh, yeah. theme. Yeah, because it just it uses it constantly. Let's give that a listen. Just as Steve said, like it's uh, you know you have the one voice that's delayed. So uh, I have an example here where I took out the main louder voice, so you can hear the softer voice being all like out of time and, and behind. So that's the that's the uh, two channel echo.
1: Yeah, that absolutely messes with my brain. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like
0: it like drives my OCD like up the
1: wall. It, yeah. It's like it's like it's like um, you ever go to a a, um, a mall and you go onto the escalator and the handrail is not in sync with uh, when you're standing on the, uh, the the actual escalator itself. So the handrail is going up faster than you're actually going. Like so like and they're like in some cases they're going in like two different directions. Um, it just kind of feels that like an you know
0: you know, I've never noticed that, and I just I just like pretended to you know claimed I had OCD, but I think maybe you, you know? <laughs> maybe
1: um <laughs> So, alright, let's move on to the third version before I I reveal too much about uh, what I'm thinking about. (laughs) The third version we picked out is single channel echo, where it's like the Konami echo, but more pervasive, and where it's done by doubling up notes in a melody. So let's say you have a melody that goes A-C-E, A-C-E. You can turn it into A-A-C-C-E-E, A-A-C-C-E-E. And the second version of each note is done at reduced volume.
0: And so we have an example here where the first half of this clip doesn't use the effect, and then the second half does.
1: There's ways to play around with this approach, too. Instead of doubling the notes up like uh, A-A-C-C-E-E, you could exaggerate the echo effect by offsetting it, making the softer version come a step later. So it could be loud A, soft E, loud C, soft A, Loud E, soft C. Here's what that sounds like. The fourth example we've identified is, a, for lack of a better name, single channel pitch band echo, something like that, where oddly enough, you can pitch a note up or down and it makes it, it makes it feel like the volume is changing more than it is. This is a trick used by the Fallen Brothers. And here's an example from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade.
0: So, yeah, you have that voice, that pew, 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 pew voice. Like, it really sounds like it's modulating in volume, but it's not. It's it, I mean, it is fading out, but it's just a very straightforward linear fade where it lasts on volume 3 for a little while, goes to volume 2 for a little while, then volume 1. Um, but it really sounds like it's going up and down, uh, and that's it's just all in the pitch bend. So uh, here's that uh, voice by itself, slowed down. so and uh yeah those were the four examples of echo that we came up with um but yeah like going back to that single channel echo where you just sort of doubled up the notes like you can imagine writing that out uh for a run of eighth notes or sixteenth notes and that wouldn't be that hard because you just have a very evenly distributed pattern of notes and you, you can fill the gaps in um but like if you imagine trying to write out a full melody with complex rhythms rests and like notes that fade out differently uh It would get very complicated very quick like you'd have to imagine you'd have to look at like all of the empty space in your song and like try to like imagine where a previous note should fit in there and that would get that would get very messy um but neil baldwin who we talked about in our first episode uh, for one of his more modern nes uh, music creating tools he programmed a way to automate the process where you, you just write a melody and you can choose different parameters for how the single channel echo will determine how to fill in those empty spaces. It'll, it'll just know how to refer back to previous notes that you wrote out. Um,
1: that's so that's so crazy. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. And like I know we mentioned we were going to save like the modern tools and advanced techniques for a later episode, but uh, I did want to just sort of plug this in here because um, he has a demo on his website where he's showing off the effects where he just takes a simple a melody from Super Mario Brothers and um just goes nuts with the effect so yeah uh take a listen yeah that's ridiculous that's not even the whole thing that's just uh like an an example from it so it's it's really crazy really
1: impressive stuff no that's awesome (laughs) it's funny because like if you have to do that yourself even if you're doing that in um family tracker like you have to kind of figure out mathematically where it goes uh yeah thinking of that so to have it automated that's pretty awesome especially because it's probably well-timed Uh, in time like exactly where it should be so that's that's amazing absolutely i I hadn't actually heard that before oh yeah i I love that awesome it's really cool that's, that's so cool
0: and uh so yeah i guess it's also probably worth mentioning that you can change the pitch uh of the pulse channels um i mean i guess obviously that's common sense changing the pitch is how you get different notes so that's like a fundamental effect but um you know anytime you have an option like that a parameter of some kind is something you can exploit. So, being able to change the pitch isn't just for getting different notes, it's also for doing effects like uh, pitch bends. And, um, Steve, I think you had an example of like a pitch bend being used uh, musically.
1: An earlier example would be in Mega Man. They definitely employ, in behind the drums, they kind of use one of the channels to make a kind of a tom sound, you know, that, boom, that kind of very particular yeah. Mega Man sound. So, here's an example of that.
0: And so uh, I guess uh, next up on our list is the arpeggio effect.
1: Yep. So the idea is that because each channel is monophonic and can't play chords, monophonic meaning can only play one note, uh, you can uh, just break a chord up into individual notes and and rapidly alternate them, kind of like making a buzzy kind of of noise. Uh, So here's a really clear example from Asterix.
0: Yeah, that effect lets you free things up a bit, uh, allowing you to mimic strumming guitar chords and stuff like that, so. Uh, I think it's worth noting that this effect is incredibly drastically more prevalent in European soundtracks compared to Japanese soundtracks. Uh, And this is largely because of the popularity of this effect in European uh, computer game music.
1: Yeah, that's likely because, uh, and we kind of talked about this in a previous episode. The Commodore 64 only had three channels of audio, so using the ar- uh, the arpeggio or using arpeggios was a great way to overcome sound limitations. And it was already kind of a pro- uh, common practice in European sound design at the time.
0: Yeah. And I think we, we probably mentioned this in the previous episode, but, like, sometimes I think the effect is awesome,
1: uh, <laughs>
0: but sometimes it's also, like, overbearing, so I just picked two quick examples, like, here's a usage of it that I really like, again, this is uh, Magician, uh will be familiar from the first episode. And then uh, here's another example that I'm not as big of a fan of. Um, it's from Big Nose the Caveman, and it's doing it with the Triangle Channel, which is uh, a little strange.
1: It sounds like someone's trying to call Big Nose. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like a telephone. <laughs> <laughs> big Nose, so, pick up. Th- that was the triangle there, um, and I guess that would be the next insur- or next channel we have to talk about here.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, third sound channel is the triangle wave, like you just said, and it's most commonly used for bass lines in NES music.
1: Uh, the triangle wave is very interesting in that it has actually no volume control.
0: Yeah, so it's like, you can change its pitch, uh, there's really not much you can do with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of the major reasons why it's used for bass lines so much. Uh, in addition to having good timbre for it, uh, the lack of volume control is something that's more acceptable for a bass line than a melody.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, like, you'd probably want to hear volume envelopes, like, on your melodies, if anything.
1: Absolutely, and it's kind of like, and it just kind of as a little aside... Uh, just because it can't be controlled in volume and kind of burying it in lower timbres is a great way to, over, one, overcome that limitation. It also means that um, from the strict perspective of just how the instrument is built um you can kind of use the other two channels that have volume controls and build down to that uh, particular pitch. So the triangle has a limit is limited in that you can't change its volume and you can change the the volumes of the other channels. So it's kind of like, this is your limiting agent. And a lot, it's funny, a lot of people I've introduced family tracker music to, or anything to kind of realize very quickly that you have to kind of build everything to the triangle. And Mm -hmm. back then, I think everyone else kind of had that same kind of general idea. Um, so, you know, we just talked about it being used for bass lines, et cetera, et cetera, but it can be used for melodies, and because it has such a distinct sound from the other pulse waves, it's not the same as them, obviously, uh, it really stands out and sounds really cool. So here's a great example from Journey from Silius. Oh, I'm sorry. That's Journey to Silius. Uh, oh, yeah. About?
0: You said Journey from Silius. Journey from Silius, yeah.
1: Cilius, yeah. That's, its,
0: that's its unreleased uh, sequel. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We, we went there, and now we need to go back, apparently.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, like a funny little, I guess, anecdote I have about the triangle wave being used for melodies. Um, it's known for being like temperamental with its pitch. Um, like You write melodies for it, and it'll be out of tune a little bit. Uh, so that's like another limitation or sort of problem with it um and you know one point though with fama tracker i had gone through and like tested all of the pitches and i didn't really have a goal in mind like i just made a spreadsheet like finding out how out of tune all of the notes were and you have in fama tracker the ability to fine pitch i guess it's called where you could like detune a voice just a little bit uh, you make something a little bit more sharp or a little bit more flat and uh so i'd gone through and actually i found a bunch of notes where like. Just by tweaking it the smallest amount possible making it a little bit more sharp or a little bit more flat you could make it more in tune um, and you know I just put out the spreadsheet saying like hey you know anyone want, want if you want your triangle melodies to be more in tune check this out this will you, know, you can refer to this and uh, it'll help you out um, but I guess the creator of Famitracker actually took that and like recoded fama tracker I, I recoded at least how the triangle wave like how its scale is calculated I guess um, which is funny because I didn't even like I had no idea that would even be a possibility. I wasn't like trying to be like, "Hey, you should fix this." It was a, <laughs> this is just a completely random thing. Like I just did that and had no idea it would actually like have an impact on the program. So that's, mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of
2: neat.
1: You know, I remember like writing for Family Tracker like the when I was experimenting like a long time ago, and I remember like it getting really pitchy in the high register, like yeah. really pitchy, like Ooh, that's another like nails on chalkboard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's level. that's
0: another sort of funny artifact with it is like. It loses resolution at the higher pitches like when i was playing around with the fine pitching effect like at the lower notes you can really like subtly change the intonation on the higher notes if you just like make it a little bit more sharp it actually like jumps
2: yeah when you get
0: to like the highest notes possible it'll jump like a whole half step like you like you you, like you lose that ability to fine pitch it at the very very high end so it's kind of weird yeah
1: definitely So, we mentioned uh, before doing pitch bends with pulse waves to make drum sounds, and the same applies to the triangle wave. Uh, It's a deeper sound, and I I made this sound before, but oof, that like strong kind of hit, like a strong punch, uh, more tonal sounding than uh, pulse wave pitch bends.
0: Like, this effect is used to augment uh, the noise channel for percussion by some composers. Like, they'll have these downwards pitch bends uh, landing alongside every time there's also a snare and bass drum hitting the noise channel. And uh, just like Steve said, it gives it that oomph that is much more beefy sounding uh, compared to other NES percussion that just uses the noise channel. So uh, here's an example from Silver Surfer. And let's listen to that again with uh, the triangle and noise channel isolated. And to, again, hear an even clearer example of how the triangle is augmenting the drums, here's the uh, triangle by itself.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, uh, just uh, when I originally heard that soundtrack and then I looked at it and I opened up uh, you know NSF Play to take a look at it, I was and you know just kind of new to uh, Tim's music or whatever. I couldn't believe that there was no drum kit in there, and like it really pulls it off. Like, like no no that, uh,
0: sample drum kit. You mean? Yeah, there's right? no sample
1: kit. Yeah, there's yeah. no sample kit in there, and there's no you know there's no DPCM. So I I always like it was like oh man he has such a great kit I really want to borrow that and when I looked and saw there was none I'm like. I have a lot to learn, don't I? Because <laughs> it's it's just right. so well done, and you can hear how in the example you just played, the bass drum hits are crammed between the bass lines. But you know, uh, you basically, you know, it, it, you're just kind of delaying the actual note you want to play by kind of cramming in the little, you know, the little bass notes or, or the little drum hits in between the bass notes. Um, so the bass line's kind of behind, but you don't even notice it in real time. That's right. what's so amazing about it. You hear the drum hit and your ear just kind of focuses on the note behind it, which is really cool.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Oh yeah, and so I had one more example of cool uh, triangle percussion that I wanted to include. This is a track from the uh, Smurfs soundtrack uh, composed by Alberto Gonzalez. And uh, in addition to doing the same like um, bass drum and snare drum augmentation with those pitch bends, he also does these really short high-pitched triangle sounds. And it creates like a sort of almost uh, woodblock sound. Um, it's weird. I like. I. I'm not even sure I can really sing it, but like, it's sort of like doot doot, 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 sound. Um, and it, it sounds great. Check it out. Yeah, I just I uh, I love the way that sounds. Like that's a that's a really cool uh, effect.
1: No, absolutely. Uh,
0: so next up is the fourth sound channel, n- the noise channel. And uh, the concept behind the noise channel is really simple. You have noise like when you have a TV that's set to a channel you don't have and you get that fuzzy sort of static. Uh, it's easy to picture like if you just sampled that noise and broke it up into little segments, uh, you could make drum beats out of it, sort of like a ch 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 sound.
1: Yeah, and the NES generates noise at 16 preset pitches, which sounds like this.
0: But there's also actually an alternate mode you can engage to get another 16 sounds out of it, uh, and they sound like this. And uh, so um, this is something where, like, I have a limit in my knowledge as to why it sounds that way or why this works. Uh, basically you have two different noise modes. One's uh, called looped noise and the other is called periodic noise. Uh, if I have that correct. And uh, again, like I haven't really fully done my homework on that. So I don't really know the technical explanation for what periodic noise is. So actually if anyone listening uh, knows more why it sounds like that, uh, that'd be great. But um, periodic noise, as you, as you just heard, has a much more gnarly, Dirty metallic sound to it uh, at the lower pitches and at the higher pitches as this very like thin, almost melodic sound to it, and uh, it wasn't really commonly used probably just because it sounds so weird, uh, but sometimes it comes up in sound effects like that metallic scratchy sound you can imagine w- uh, would make a good sword unsheathing sound effect.
1: I think kind of like uh, think Final Fantasy when you kind of strike with the with the sword like the original Final right. Fantasy when you like attack it goes. <laughs> like or like different kinds of noises in there Mm -hmm. i think it's definitely used there Mm -hmm. Uh, it's interesting too because it actually comes up in music as well Mm -hmm. Uh, and especially in Man. and one of my one of the best examples that i could think of when we were actually coming up with this i was like we wanted to kind of talk about the noise channel so i was like this is the example like because i remember this having like some really weird noise channel stuff so fireman from Mega Man one is a great example so let's listen
0: Yeah, so you have, like, that metallic scratchy sound in the noise channel, that weird da sound. And, like, it almost sounds kind of bad, I think. I mean, I I, I think it sounds cool, but, like, it almost... I-, I could see why it wouldn't be used in a lot of songs, because it's, like, a jarring sound. Like, if you overused it, you'd be like, why does the game sound so bad, I think,
1: right? No, it, it's very interesting, like, that particular sound and the effect that, uh, the uh, you know, they were trying to reach there... Um, And just kind of as an aside, when that effect was actually used in uh, the remake of that, you know, Mega Man The Wily Wars, Mm -hmm. which is kind of lampooned as not having the most amazing soundtrack, but it was kind of, you know, uh, the Mega Man remakes for Genesis. It's interesting because that entire background is made into like Latin percussion. So I think the intention was to make like a Latin percussion sound um, because the noise channel is kind of drier, the uh, regular noise channel, as opposed to the kind of scratchier sound. So. Um, I think when you kind of put that together, it creates like that, that kind of effect. Um, and again, this, it's Mega Man one, so it's very early in the Capcom right. engine to kind of figuring all this out. So I think it was an interesting risk yeah. um, to take. And so, uh, you know, I guess it's up to us to decide whether or not it worked or not, but it was still a risk and that's really cool mm-hmm. actually.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so we've also picked an example from Solstice. Let's give that a listen. So I find the usage of the periodic noise there really impressive because, like in that Mega Man example, it's like a crazier, weird electronic music kind of sound. Uh, in Solstice, it sounds like they're trying to mimic a triangle, and uh, like like an actual triangle that like not a triangle wave, but <laughs> a, a, the triangle instrument that you'd see yeah, yeah. Uh, used in an orchestra. <laughs> yeah. So it's cool. It's like you can get a little melody out of the noise channel uh, too, which is, you know, pretty cool.
1: Yep. So we did the two pulses. We did the triangle. And we did the noise channel, so that leaves the very last channel, which is the sample channel. Um, there's some weird stuff that can happen with the sample channel. <laughs> I think that's an understatement. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: its most straightforward and common usage was to play one bit DPCM samples. Uh, Typically of drums. Or or sometimes they use those really low quality vocal samples like the I'm Bad and uh, Bad Dudes. But uh, probably the best and most memorable example I can think of is all of the DPCM drums throughout Super Mario Bros. 3. Uh, Anything that isn't noise, like the bongos, uh, timbales, or the timpani, like when you're getting onto the airship, those are all uh, one-bit drum samples. though uh, something to keep in mind is that it actually wasn't that uncommon for uh, a lot of games to not use the sample channel at all.
1: Capcom especially and I I, kind of did my own independent research and I would love to love to know if if anyone knows this for sure but I listened to almost every single uh, soundtrack or actually did listen to every single soundtrack that Capcom has done for the NES and there's no samples in them. Yeah. So, I mean, and I, I maybe there is one that has samples in it, maybe if anyone just can tell me it, that. Right. Maybe I missed it, but I, I listened to every single one of the soundtracks and didn't hear anything happen in the DPC yeah. channel at which, all.
0: Which, I, it makes, it's, seems a little strange, but it also kind of makes sense in some way, because samples were, like sample usage was kind of prohibitive. Like, they were expensive, which is funny to think about, like these tiny file sizes like were costly to put them into your game. And uh, you know, Capcom is known for having great soundtracks, uh, but it's just funny to think about how they they had great soundtracks and they didn't even use an entire channel of uh, NES right. audio.
1: I've also heard from multiple interviews, and I'd have to really dig this up, but um, that it also took up space.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's part of, that's part of the cost. Yeah, space is yeah. Is so cost.
1: not only is it expensive, like price wise or whatever, but like like just actually physically putting it onto the cartridge was something that would take up space. Um, and you know, like I guess you could kind of look at it both ways in terms of experience. Right.
0: And I feel like if you if you pick at uh like NES soundtracks, NES and Famicom soundtracks at random, like you dig through a library of like every game that was released, uh, samples are more rare they're more uncommon than they are common. You pick a game at random and it probably won't have samples. Um, but you get to the towards the end of the library and all of like the companies that are more well-known that were producing higher quality games like Nintendo, uh, Konami, um, Sunsoft, you, Tecmo. Tecmo. Yeah. You can expect to find samples in those games. Um, so it's like, depends on how you look at it. Like early NES games are like basically guaranteed to not have them or have very little usage of them. Um, a lot of like smaller companies probably didn't use them as well. Uh, but then you get to like the, the bigger budget games and they usually do have samples.
1: Yeah. And I feel like it's also kind of like time, like as you get towards the end, as you were kind of saying the end of the Nintendo's lifestyle or life cycle, um, you kind of notice that like, you know, 92, 93, they kind of start creeping into almost everything. Yeah. Um, there's some like soundtracks that I, I can, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but that I've been listening to lately where there's a bunch of samples in there and it's, obvious that they were just trying to grab some yeah. cash right at the end right. of the life cycle of the console and,
0: and part of that has to do with them is going to a bit of a tangent but that has to do with the availability of mappers like ex- expansion sort of chips for the nes like um something that not a lot of people might realize is that uh different nintendo games don't actually run on the same hardware like uh usually think of hardware as the console right so you would say oh super mario brothers 3 and the original super mario brothers run on the same hardware but that's actually not true because uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 like has a chip in the cartridge. I have no idea what mapper it is off the top of my head, but it actually has a chip inside the game's cartridge that handles some of the processing. Um, so th- there's like more processing, more room for memory inside the actual game cartridges themselves. Uh, so that's another reason why you'll see more sample usage in later games. It's because they have more mappers or better mappers and whatnot. So but uh, to get back on track here there's also some unconventional uses of the sample channel that are uh, even rarer still Um, it was sometimes used melodically like all those bass lines uh, that you can hear in a bunch of sunsoft games But the difficulty with using samples this way is how restrictive your pitch controls were uh, for the samples. To start with, uh, samples could only be slowed down and thus uh, pitched down as well. So like, let's say you have a starting sample of note C. You can't turn it into C sharp, the C sharp above it or anything. You can only go down from there. Uh, And then on top of that, you don't have anything like a full scale downwards when you do slow it down. There's uh, 15 pitches or playback speeds beneath the original playback speed. Um, But there's these weird gaps in there uh, in terms of notes on the keyboard. Uh, And some of the notes you do land on will be very out of tune. And on top of that, the slowest speeds available are slowing down the sample so much that they're kind of useless musically, because it's just going to be like a really ugly distorted mess. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, um, So yeah, I mean, there's so many limitations. You can't descend chromatically, meaning you can't have a musical note and just make a melody out of it well i mean you could make a melody but it's just you're very limited so um here's what that uh, starting c sounds like going down all of the available pitches (laughs) Yeah, that, that sounds ridiculous at the end there. Um, but uh, to work around this, it's really cool. Sunsoft planned around these gaps being there and found that with using five specific starting samples, A-sharp, B, C, C-sharp, and D, that they could actually achieve a full chromatic scale. Um, but what that meant is that like the baselines would be a very complicated mess of those starting samples being swapped in and out, pitch down varying amounts just to make a normal melody. So it's like it's a really kind of nutty uh, process they went through.
1: Yeah, it's very, it's very complicated. If you've ever tried to a lot of people do, you can do it in Family Tracker. You can actually well, you can either get the Sunsoft samples directly from the Sunsoft games or you can actually do that. If you take samples and you pitch them to A sharp, B, C, C sharp, and D, you should be able to actually emulate that effect using whatever you want. And some of the modern people actually do it and it's pretty awesome.
0: Well, I, I can actually link in the show notes. I did extract all the Sunsoft samples and map them out to a Fama tracker instrument so you don't have to go through the hard work of figuring out how to repitch everything. So and like, I like
1: everything here. Look at that.
0: And like I'm not the most <laughs> musically minded person. Like mm-hmm. I I play the drums. Um, like that's kind of it though so like the transposing in my head for being like okay if i take sample a sharp and pitch it down to playback speed 12 it'll turn into this note oh wait but then there's this gap here so maybe i need to start with b like it was really messing with my head for a while so
1: yeah no yeah it, I, I, any attempt that I've i've never used it before and every attempt i've tried to use it has just turned into uh maybe i'll just add a, a expansion audio or something right, you right. know because yeah. it, it uh, like those guys were like kind of shooting in the dark there and coming up with that so it's really ingenious again yeah. the limitations that these guys had and they're like well what if we add these particular notes and it covers everything I mean you know they were thinking about that which is really cool mm-hmm. um and so kind of uh, segueing, you know like did it you, you, i guess the next question is did anyone yeah. else do that yes. Did anyone else have that kind of thing yeah. um and you know the answer is not really um it's funny i was just
0: saying yes but you you also saying that really is also correct because there's not a lot of examples i think you you had a couple listed out
1: yeah yeah so there's super c uh zombie nation uh more baselines and fire and ice and b52 uh probably some others but there's not a ton of examples like i said there's a there's some but it's not like a common practice thing
0: right and uh Yeah, you mentioned Zombie Nation, there's actually a few examples from there I wanted to demonstrate because it's actually a really interesting use of the sample channel, where again, it's just the normal DPCM samples, they're not pulling out any like crazy tricks, but it's still just a weird usage of it. So uh, this first track here is in the sound test, and it's the most ridiculous track. Uh, Let's give it a listen. Yeah, so uh, that, as you just heard, that track is totally ridiculous. But um, I think there's actually like a sort of interesting, like this is just me sort of imagining their thought process. But uh, since it wasn't super common to be using samples, I feel like they stuck that in there as a sort of demo that they created like internally, sort of to say like, hey, we have all these samples, uh, here's just a little demo tune like showing off what we're going to be using throughout the soundtrack. Um, so I mean, it sounds really goofy, but uh, it is actually used very, you know, thoughtfully throughout the rest of the soundtrack. So I have like another example from the soundtrack here where I'm gonna play just the sample channel isolated by itself. And uh, I find this interesting because it's usually not common to have like a wall of sound coming from the sample channel, but it's so dense here. They have all of these different samples just going back to back and uh, it's really neat sounding. And it's just this really dense usage of the uh, sample channel that I find unique. Um, Against so in the Sunsoft soundtracks, you might hear like the bass line going constantly, uh, you might hear a lot of drum samples in Konami soundtracks, but to have something that's like constantly a drum sound swapping out to a bass sound, swapping back to like an orchestra hit, is pretty unique I think. And uh, So let's give that a listen in the uh, full context of that song. <laughs> just i think that's like a really neat and uh just kind of weird uh oddity uh, i guess of nes uh sound so
1: yeah no it's interesting too because this is all with uh the one bit uh playback but there were higher quality samples as well weren't
0: oh yeah uh so like this is another one of those places where again i should apologize where we haven't fully done our homework um I i guess i should quickly explain that like uh even though Steve and I are like explaining the NES audio, we're not the most technically minded people out there. Um, I think we both have like backgrounds in music and we've sort of come to our own understanding by doing a lot of like dissecting of existing soundtracks and, and whatnot. Um, But like neither Steve or I like learned what we learned about NES audio by like thumbing through like technical documents you know i i I, I, maybe i shouldn't speak on your behalf but right i've I've sort of come to that understanding that like i think we're similar uh learners and like that Mm -hmm. trying to um read like a really technical breakdown like that that usually goes over my head so
1: no it it, it does and i mean like i've looked at tech specs many times and i have a general idea of what's going on but it, it, it tends to Tends to get muddled, so there's like little gaps in there that we don't uh, that I, I don't assume to know. So
0: yeah, so I sort of have someone on speed dial who does know a lot of these technical aspects, so we'll do a deeper dive on this to do our like due uh, diligence. Um, but yeah, what I was gonna say is there are higher quality samples that can playback, and they're known as seven uh, bit audio. So again, I'm I'm lacking on the technical explanation for how exactly the NES streams seven uh, bit audio through its system, but uh, it can. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, pretty much any time you hear uh, longer bits of higher quality audio, that's a seven-bit PCM audio at play. Like uh, a great example is the *Skater Die* two title theme. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like, it's like you have like that funny like skate or die dialogue, and there's also that weird like, I don't know, almost sawtooth sounding sample, that yeah. like, that that weird synth sound, and uh, yeah, those are actually higher quality samples. They're not just the one bit uh, samples. So
1: yeah, and you you can even hear that it's like clearer, and I think that that's one thing that's kind of different between one bit and seven bit like from what i understand the more bits you have the clearer it's going to sound so one bit will sound grainier and seven bit's going to sound a lot clearer yeah the Um, the
0: the skid or die two example clearer though like it's still pretty dirty but we do mm -hmm. have there's uh some clearer examples we have right
1: yeah so there's a lot of other games that had uh like really high quality dialogue in it like actual talking and it was funny because when i was a kid my little brother uh my parents tried to buy an educational game for my little brother it was big birds hide and speak Um, And it was crazy because, like, I I remember sitting there, like, it actually talked to you. And that's, I I mean, I'm sure it uses almost the entire cartridge to put these samples in here. Uh, But here's a good example of Big Bird's Hide and Speak.
2: Find the first letter in fat. Press the big black button to move little
0: bird. Then there's also that uh, ridiculous example from The Great Waldo Search. Oh, yeah. It has this uh, really corny title music. a wet Waldo a wet a wet a wet uh yeah so uh, the NES can do that as well apparently so <laughs> apparently yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh and so uh i guess in the last episode steve also mentioned uh, what he called flashing the channel um, where there's this issue where sample playback drains the volume of the triangle and noise channels a little bit, and uh, there's an effect you can do to reset that value, um, but it'll make a sort of pop sound. And so you could sort of augment an existing kick drum sample, like Steve demonstrated in uh, Konami Music, um, or you could just even make the pop happen by itself. So uh, here's another example we came up with from Final Fantasy III, where it's just the pop by itself making a bass drum sample. And so in that case, I don't think that really sounds as good as the Konami uh, kick drum. Like, the pop in this case is really harsh and apparent. Like, it just sounds like something's yeah. cl- clipping or, you know. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, it is it is them exploiting the sample channel. They didn't even really put a bass drum sample in there, but they're making uh, a sound out of that sound channel to make music nonetheless. so.
1: No, absolutely, yeah. Um, also, if we want to keep, you know, just thinking about some other cool tricks, uh, the Immortal by Rob uh, yeah, Hubbard. Uh, yeah. There's a really cool trick in there, uh, which, and as far as we know, is the only NES soundtrack that does this. There might be others, but if you know, please let us know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he you do is take a very short sample of a waveform, a soft tooth wave, and looped it. Uh, so the result was the sample channel generating a sawtooth wave that sounds like this.
0: creates that really weird buzzy sound, uh, that buzzy bass line. Let's give that a listen uh, by itself. And again, like I just find that really interesting because I know I've dug through a lot of soundtracks for their samples. I made like a mm-hmm. sample pack a while back, so if you're composing in Famitracker, uh and you wanted to have access to drum samples, um, you could just like pick from a library of games. And uh, yeah, I never found this coming up in any other game. So um, yeah, I think I think it's a unique trick.
1: So, and I would trust Rob Hubbard to come up with something unique oh, yeah, like that. Oh so. yeah, absolutely.
0: absolutely. So, <laughs> so I guess that about wraps it up there's an overview of the Nintendo and its five sound channels. Uh, we're hoping that uh, if you weren't very intimately familiar with what the NES is capable of, that you have a much uh, better understanding of that now. So.
1: And I'm hoping that this is was a simple and concise guide to this. Um, there's a lot of other guides that kind of are out there that kind of discuss this, but I'm hoping that kind of from our non-technical background, that we can kind of bridge the gap between the technical aspects of this and kind of what, you know, a person who isn't an engineer would need to understand about this to know the tricks and ins and outs. So hopefully, I really hope that we were able to accomplish that as well. Excellent.
0: Yeah. Thanks for your help, Steve.
1: Yeah, no problem.
0: Okay. So uh, with the main chunk of the episode out of the way, it is time for questions, comments, uh, general feedback. And uh, we actually, we got a great question from Pingo Simon. He wanted to know why Nintendo music has these reoccurring tempos, right? Like, so if you listen to like a couple different Mega Man songs, you might notice that they're all the same speed. Uh, and then you go to a different game soundtrack and you'll have other songs that are the exact same tempo as well. Uh, and it's not just one tempo, it's like a cluster of them. And, uh, you know, he wanted to know why that's a thing. Why, why is NES music written that way? And uh, this is something that, I didn't fully know the answer to. I mean, I knew like the sort of basic reasoning and uh, the basic reason for that is the NES runs at 60 frames per second. And if you want a consistent tempo, you're gonna wanna base all of, uh, you wanna use those different frames as a subdivision of a beat, right? So like maybe your quarter note is gonna be made of 7 sixtieths of a second. Maybe it's gonna be made of 8 sixtieths of a second, something like that. Uh, so like that sort of multiplication of the frames sort of locks you into different tempos, um, but I never crunched the numbers on this before. And there's also these weird artifacts with the playback speed that I had no idea about. And um, my friend Jeffrey actually responded to that question and uh, he has this awesome answer here, uh, which I'm gonna read back to you. So so he says, uh, most games use an audio engine that is tied to the Nintendo's frame rate. Uh, which is due to the way the NES is clocked at something like 60.0988 frames per second. See, that I didn't even know. I was just guessing. Yeah,
1: I had no clue either. I just assumed it was a flat 60.
0: So, and as I was just uh, saying before, each beat has to be a whole uh, number multiple of that length. So if you want to divide the beat nicely into 16th notes, it'll have to be a multiple of four, uh, etc. So, like, doing the math here, 16 ticks per beat equals 225 point, you know, something BPM. 20 ticks per beat equals uh, 180 something BPM. 24 ticks per beat equals 150. 28 equals 120. Uh, 8. 32 equals 112. 36 equals 100. So, like 225, 180, 150, 128, 112, and 100 are the most common uh, NES tempos uh, you will find. So, um, but the weird part though that I really also had no idea about is that. Uh, when you listen to the Nintendo Sound File rips of NES music, those playback speeds lock them like at a perfect 60 frames per second. Or if it's not perfect, it's something much closer uh, than the that weird decimal value I mentioned before. So if you're actually listening back in an NSF player, um, its tempo will be slightly different than uh, if you're listening to the music in game. Actually, so I didn't realize that tempo discrepancy existed. So you know, I learned something new.
1: You yeah, know, it's interesting because um, if if you mess around with the settings too much in Family Tracker, you can kind of screw all that up, um, and it's really difficult because I've you know trying to kind of combine like there's a project where I had to do a Family Tracker file and then combine it with someone's MIDI to try to make like something to kind of go in the background, and there's just this like point something difference between it, and it it, it kind of starts to kind of split apart a little bit. Um, but I think, like, a lot of the newer ones, as you said, and kind of what I was doing was putting it through NSF Play because it does normalize it. And then mm-hmm. I can actually get the tempo I thought yeah. it was.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, and like you were saying about doing weird tempos and Fama Tracker throwing things off. So I should clarify to the listeners, you have these common tempo groupings. You don't have to use those tempo groupings. But things kind of go awry if you don't. Because uh, what can happen is if you try to do something in between, you're no longer basing it off of in, like an in, in even multiplication of those, like, you know, 60th of a second. So you, if you try to do like an in-between tempo, you might have something where like an eighth note is a set number of frames, and then you're gonna have this one random eighth note, and be, there maybe like every sixth eighth note, every seventh eighth note is going to be like a little bit shorter than the rest. So you're gonna have like this little, these little micro like hiccups in the tempo. Yeah, it
1: like, gets like jumpy. It gets of. it
0: gets jumpy. Like it, so, it can't smoothly do those in between tempos. That's why you have like these core uh, group tempos that everything sort of. You know stratifies to, to so
1: it really reminds me of like if you're playing NES and there's a little bit of audio slowdown because the sprites on the screen there's too many sprites on the screen mm-hmm. like so it'll just feel like just that ever so slight slowdown of the background music while you're jumping or something like that like just like just a little bit and it will do it kind of at a constant rate um it's interesting cuz like it's something that when i first started writing music i had no clue and i was just doing it um but now it drives me crazy like, oh, yeah. I do a lot in Family Tracker to make sure that I don't hear that crazy kind of bump in there. Uh, when I used to just leave that in, like, my first entire album has that bump in it. I didn't even know. Um, oh, right. <laughs> whoops. No, so. I, I
0: sort of went through the same discovery where, like, I wrote a bunch of stuff at using, like, those custom tempos, in- mm-hmm. in-between tempos, you could call them. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Then, like, once I noticed that hiccup and, like, I looked at the, a sample of the music in Audacity and I just looked at, the, I could find the specific eighth note that was shorter than the rest. Mm-hmm. And then I resampled it and found that it kept happening. It wasn't a mistake. And I was like, oh, like that's why it's better to avoid that kind of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Unless, I mean, unless if you write crazy sounding music and that doesn't matter then, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Oh, so we also have another comment from the same person. Uh, Steve, you want to read his comment? Yeah, yeah, this is from SoundCloud. Uh, Pingo Simon writes, it's funny, being so, so familiar with the Castlevania soundtrack, I immediately heard all the differences in this cover. To me, it's as drastic as the difference between Iron Maiden's The Trooper and Children of Bottom's cover of it.
0: Oh, so I th- I feel like he's like very politely calling you out, Steve, because uh, if you guys remember in the previous episode, um, we were comparing the Konami, you know, YY World soundtracks with the original versions, and I think you mentioned like you hadn't noticed uh, that that in the first soundtrack, it only made like subtle differences between the two. And, um... Yeah,
1: maybe, maybe I got a little called out here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I I, I don't think so. But... I
1: know, I know, I know. I mean, it it was something honestly like it, it's it's I guess you listen to those soundtracks so much that you're not like there's a difference between like when you're listening and it's just on the background or you're playing and then there's like active listening. Like I love the Castlevania soundtracks, but I don't think I've ever sat down and listened to Castlevania one well, with active listening. Like ah, Okay. Notes. And so I think it was just kind of like it sounds the same to me kind of deal. Right. Um and then like when I finally sat down and listened to it like no, no, it's not the same at all. Right. Um, and it's at that different level and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, I, 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 I didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. But Pingo
0: got it. So, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I seem to remember, I think the first time I listened to it, I had that sort of moment where I couldn't tell if it was different or not, but mm-hmm. I did the comparison like right away. I remember like figuring out like, like, or just thinking to myself, it, it sounds so similar, but something sounds kind of off what's going on here. And then I was like, Oh, it's just slightly different, you know? Oh, so uh, we had another comment here from uh, how do I pronounce that? I am Ori, One Am, I re... sorry, dude. I'm totally butchering your name, but uh, he called us out uh, when we were mentioning our favorite NES soundtracks that we didn't mention gimmick.
1: Oh, oh yeah.
0: <laughs> and he said no gimmick uh and actually that's a that's a that's a fair uh thing to call out because actually steve and i are both uh, huge gimmick fans so
1: yeah no and it, it's i it's one of those things where it's like such an obvious thing to say because we love gimmicks so much and like you know it doesn't it's just not a, it's just not there when you're thinking about it yeah. it's like it, it, it's so yeah and that's that's actually my friend adam um, oh okay so, cool like yeah awesome. yeah no and so he called it out so that's, that's really funny, funny. Yeah, because, yeah.
0: like, I uh, yeah. I think when we were mentioning favorite soundtracks, like, I was trying to think, like, oh, Sunsoft, Sunsoft, oh, Journey to Silius, you know, that's one of my favorites. And, um, but it, it's, like, it, I think we have the same mindset on this. We're both such huge gimmick fans, like, I didn't even bother going there.
1: No, like, it's, like, yeah, it's, like, oh, yeah, well, I could say gimmick, but, you know, yeah. that's, that's a given, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Almost, yeah. All right, so also on the SoundCloud uh, post here, we have Hun Retro Geek and uh, they say, uh, I think Konami soundtracks had many different DPCM sets over the years. There was a set used in this game, which was also used in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 and Crisis Force. There's also the set from Bucky O'Hare, Batman Returns, and LaGrange Point. There's an interesting set from Contra and the Castlevania games. Uh, also an interesting set from Contra and the Castlevania games. Though the last has been has that almost non-existent kick drums with those pop noises, and a snare is drowned out really badly in most songs. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a good observation. Um, I mentioned earlier that I had ripped uh, like samples from various uh, NES games, and I did notice reoccurring samples popping up in different games, but I never really closely like paid attention to it that closely. So, uh, yeah, that's a cool observation.
1: No, it, it's absolutely true. Uh, and like, just kind of some sample packs, like Konami is definitely very guilty of that. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I, there's definitely, especially like there's a couple. The Castlevania games have like that very particular. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and it's like, you really need to do something to make it sound great. And it's like, even if you listen to like Castlevania 3 or, uh, you know, the Japanese version, the VRC 6 version, it has these really great drums. And then when you bring up the sample by yourself, it's like, how did how they make it sound like that? Because it just sounds like kind of not as like strong as you think it would. Right. Um, I, I just think that's really funny. Yeah, they definitely, they definitely borrowed.
0: Oh. <laughs> earlier in this episode we mentioned like how you have like expansion mappers and they give mm-hmm. you more room to do stuff and that's more room for samples
2: mm-hmm.
0: i actually noticed when i was doing my sample ripping that uh castlevania 3 and its japanese version have it's like the same samples but they're slightly different versions where the japanese oh. version of the game they the samples are a little bit bigger and like like they're a little bit bigger in file size and they're just a little bit longer. It's like they had to truncate them just a little bit, I think, to fit them in the US version.
1: That's so interesting. That must be the difference between the VRC6 yeah. and the MMC5 right. uh, in, the, in that situation. Yeah. Wow. And I've a, never noticed that. That's it's, amazing. It's a wow. very
0: subtle difference. I would not yeah. be able to hear. There's no way I would ever pick it up by hearing it. it it's a mm-hmm. tiny, tiny difference. I mean, we're, we're talking down to like bytes, you know, of difference. That's
1: crazy. I'm going to have to mess with that. That's really cool, yeah. actually. So it's like if,
0: <laughs> if you wanted the higher quality camera castlevania 3 samples i guess get them from the japanese version because they're like you know one might have like 16 more bytes at the end of it or something or yeah, I, I'm, I'm making yeah. up that number off the top of my head i have no
1: idea what the sample sizes are you know, i can't more remember bites, but more bytes is better apparently right yeah
0: <laughs> yeah you can compare the waveform too you can see there's like a little bit more at the end
1: so it's that's like, crazy it, that, i've never yeah. noticed that and yeah. like i'm a huge fan of both so yeah wow that's crazy it's funny um
0: Oh, yeah, so uh, we have a comment here from Boing Meets Robot. He said, another enjoyable episode. I had no idea these games existed. Uh, he's referring to the YY games. Um, One suggestion, the volume level of your voices is pretty low compared to the music. Can you boost? And he says, keep them coming. Uh, yes, that's something we're hoping to do with this episode. Um, we had a few technical hiccups when we were recording the first few episodes, Um but, yeah, that is something I noticed and strongly agree with. So we're still getting into the rhythm of what we're doing here. And, yeah, we're going to try to improve our vocal quality. So
1: Yeah, no, just like, it, you know, and I understand that you guys are going to be listening to it in different, uh, you know, through different mediums and whatnot. So, yeah, just uh, like if you hear it, if it's, if it's kind of that way, just keep letting us know. We're going oh, yeah. to try to work yeah. and make it the best that we can. Um, yeah, and, again, we've just had some snafus with uh, getting uh, equipment Together, you know, inconsistent equipment, which seems to be an issue on my side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. T-
0: tonight, Steve like uh, was traveling and uh, forgot his laptop at work, so now he's using one that has like more noise
1: when it records his voice. Yeah, too, so, so uh, this yeah. this set's probably gonna have a little bit more noise. But yeah. other laptop did a really good job last week. I sounded really clear, maybe mm-hmm. a little back. So I'll definitely have that uh, going on forward. Cool, so cool. hopefully, it's uh, you know, when the finished product comes out, you know, it, it doesn't sound like there's uh, as much noise as I'm picking up on my microphone. So. Uh, we appreciate you guys hanging in there while we try to figure this all out. So
0: yeah, yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. And so uh, next up is name that game. Let's listen to last week's example. So, uh, actually, uh, no one guessed this correctly last week. So, uh, I guess, Steve, we didn't really come up with the battle plan for how we were going to tackle this. Like, we're just kind of making this up as we go along, right?
1: Yeah, pretty
0: uh, much. <laughs> uh, so, I guess my idea was we could start rolling out hints. Mm-hmm. And the hint I have for this, because I don't want to be too specific and give it away yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say, like, platform or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this, the track that Steve had picked out was, like, the main BGM tune for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the mindset you had was, uh, you know, if someone played this game, at least, you know, you're not picking too obscure f- uh, a track from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be fair, the game itself is pretty obscure. Uh, we didn't just pick it for the sake of obscurity, though. There is something noteworthy about it and its music. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to play another song from the soundtrack uh if you haven't played the game before but you've done a lot of poking around of game soundtracks uh this is another track that you've uh probably more likely heard because it's the first song on the soundtrack so uh, let's give that a listen Uh, Yeah, good luck with uh, the name that game segment. Hopefully someone can recognize these tunes and name that game
1: Well, looks like we're kind of towards the end here So I guess we have a song of the week here and Patrick. Did you pick something?
0: Uh, Yeah, since this whole episode was about uh, NES audio, I picked a song from treasure master Um, I I wanted to pick this because it has this really over-the-top sound design a lot of the techniques we talked about in this episode are put to use uh, simultaneously like not far into the track you can hear single channel echo in one pulse wave you can hear the single channel like pitch bend uh echo in the other channel there's the uh pitch bends on the triangle channel doing the you know augmenting the kick drum and snare drum Mm -hmm. there's just so much stuff going on and like the track even opens up with the periodic noise which we were saying wasn't super common in music and uh it sounds like there's like these laser guns and like alarm clocks going off like it's really chaotic really over the top sound design and uh you know, I think in terms of like games that came out for the NES, this is like this is in the upper tier of you know the most advanced sound design you can find. So
1: yeah, absolutely, I agree.
0: Uh, and so here's the uh, Moon Level theme from Treasure Master, and you've been listening to Retro Game Audio. <laughs>